When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, um, th- it turns out this microphone still works. Yes. Um, I, it's, it's been a minute. What, are we going to go with technical issues or parenting things? Like, what, Why is it that we haven't recorded in the better part of two months? Oh. COVID, supply chain, inflation, those things? I was going to blame COVID. <laughs> Uh, that would be good for a three-year delay. This is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a little different. So it's uh, it's a shortly after eleven fifteen on a school night, Joey. We were recording here on Wednesday night, the tenth of May. Our yes. last podcast was uh, the opening days of the NCAA tournament <laughs> when we recorded with Mark Ennis talking about Louisville. So yep, hope you guys enjoyed. I only that had podcast. one kid back then. And yeah, oh, really? <laughs> Surprise! News to no, Mag- not, 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 yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> news to Maggie. Uh, but, but um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed no that Louisville podcast. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed that Louisville podcast, with Mark Ennis, because uh, it needed to last you two months. It turns out. Yeah. Yep. Um, not by design, as these things tend to happen in the off season. So. We apologize for the delay. Uh, thank you. If you're listening to this now, it probably means that you're still subscribed, which, again, thank you. Appreciate your support. Minor miracle. Um, this is just you know, kind of the way that the offseason goes in, uh, in our podcast history. So um, I lied. I will too, not. Real quick. <laughs> I, I lied because when we were in season, I said, Scott's going to hold us accountable. And by the way, he has been. He's been saying, hey, guys, yes, he you, has. Should really, you should really think about recording like soon. You should really record. We're like, like, yeah, we know. Every week. <laughs> he goes, really, you should record. And we're like, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. And then we actually tried to do it about 10 days ago. And mm-hmm. I was in the middle of allergy hell. You were in the middle of allergy hell. Yeah, and then basically like, you felt like I had the flu. Like, yeah, terrible. It was, <laughs> yeah, I had a pretty bad, like, 36-hour stretch. And then... Uh, we saw the win total odds come out and the odds to win the conference come out and you and I were messaging on Twitter weirdly because I just saw it mm-hmm. on Twitter. We just started DMing on Twitter <laughs> and we said, yeah, how about tonight? So here we are. Mike, the NFL draft results felt like a reason that we should get <laughs> together and podcast. But, but when the, uh, when the win totals come out, everybody can just like hold my calls, and uh, we, there, there's one thing we got to go do right now. So uh, here yeah. we are. <laughs> we are going to talk scale, about win to- I was full scale talking to Connor O'Neill about these on social media today. So we're mm. back. We're back. Speaking of people we need to talk to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we've got win totals. We've got conference championship odds we're going to talk about on this show. Um, as, I mean, obviously, when it's been like two months, there is some ground that we got to cover. Um I will say that we have been, at least as the ACC is related, you tell me if I'm wrong, Mike. I feel like we've been a little bit light on 
like actual important newsworthy things. So there's a couple of these things we might be stretching a little bit on as it relates to just like ACC specific news, but yeah. certainly some things we got to talk about as it relates to uh, college football in general at the very least. Agree. No, agree. Um, some big things have happened like across the sport, like bigger items that will affect the ACC but aren't directly like in contained within the ACC, I guess. Best way to That's describe right. it. That's right. So let's jump in, Mike. As we mentioned, we're about a week and a half removed from the conclusion of the NFL draft. Uh, something that we do every year, you know, as we get into late April and May, as we talk about kind of what, what happened here. So let's go this, let's do this round by round throughout the ACC and kind of just talk about the guys that were taken. How do we feel about them being a, a fit there and, and just kind of what we feel like, uh, how this is going to go. So first pick off the board for the ACC, Mike, in the first round was Kalijah Cansey, defensive lineman out of Pittsburgh. He goes to the Buccaneers. Zay Flowers, receiver out of Boston College, goes to the Ravens at 22. Miles Murphy, defensive end out of Clemson, goes to the Bengals at 28. And then Brian Brzee, defensive end, a defensive lineman out of Clemson, goes to the Saints at 29. Um, only four first-round picks out of the ACC. Did that surprise you at all? Do you have a Do you have an opinion on that? Does that matter? It doesn't really uh, affect much of anything, in my opinion. Like... Every it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter, right? If you have a a good college football team, right? In terms of the NFL draft, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have good NFL draft prospects on your team if you have a good college football team. Like a lot of times, like they go hand in hand. Other times they don't, right? Especially at the quarterback position, for example. The one mm -hmm. thing I will say though is like I think that last year was one of the stronger years the ACC has had at the quarterback position in a while. Like you didn't have a Trevor Lawrence, but you know, you still had Sam Hartman. Um, you had the emergence of Drake may at Carolina. Malik Cunningham was still at Louisville. Jordan Travis's emergence and Florida state kind of coming back on a national scene. So like there were some stories at the quarterback position last year in the ACC, but I think in total, like, a lot of the playmakers, a lot of the guys who we thought we would see playing on Sundays were either going to be at wide receiver or on the defensive side of the football. I think it's fair to say a lot of those quarterbacks that we talked about that I was just mentioning are good college quarterbacks or are young. Like Drake May is going to be a top quarterback prospect next year when he's draft eligible. He'll be a first round like, pick unless something wild pick. happens. He might be he might be the top pick, right? Him, him or Caleb Williams mm -hmm. at USC. Like he's going to be a first round pick unless he gets injured, probably. Um so, I mean, a lot of the talent, I think the NFL draft talent was on the defensive side of the football. And I think, you know, in large part, like the first round picks you mentioned were mostly on the defensive side of the ball, save for a couple. Mm -hmm. just, well, and one of the things you run into, too, with any time we're talking about college football prospects translating to the NFL is like good players on Saturdays. There is often a, a significant disconnect in what makes them good players on Sundays. You know, so right. just some of the best players may just not fit on you know at the pro level in the way that they did at the college level and I think we'll get into that here in a minute I, I look at these players there I think there's three of them that I, I really like three of the four like I, I think Elijah Canty there's a reason that that guy's a top 20 pick I think he could be really good for the Bucks yep as a Falcons fan I hate that uh Zay mm -hmm. Flowers for the Ravens with a newly signed Lamar Jackson and a couple guys in that receiver room I think that that's a that has a chance to be a really good fit for him um and I also hate it you know for the Saints Brian Brzee, I think that could be really, really good as well. And I hate it as a Falcons fan. But 
Um, the one that I look at, and I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You know, is Miles Murphy there at 28 to the Bengals? Like that, that defense probably needs plenty of help. You know, but I, I guess he's the one guy that I, of all the first round picks here, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not like 100 percent sold on him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, they needed some help on the defensive line. I, I think that's kind of where they got to close the gap a little bit against teams like the Chiefs, right? Mm-hmm. So. I think they just got to close the gap in the trenches a little bit. So maybe it works, maybe yep. it doesn't. But like you mentioned, they do need some help there, so the pick made sense. Yep, yep. Second round, 38 to the Falcons. My Falcons, Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse, offensive lineman. Uh, 46 to the Patriots, Keon White out of Georgia Tech, defensive lineman. And then 56 to the Bears out of Miami, Tyreek Stevenson, the defensive back. Um, I think all of those actually very good savvy picks those are all really good players i think they should probably all translate to sundays in their own ways yeah keon white is just pissed off and focused on football which is like a bill belichick pick so i was happy mm-hmm. About. Mm-hmm. like he wasn't happy I, th- that's the like, thing oh, that's... he's real mad like going to the patriots no that's just like how he is apparently he's just like very like <laughs> stoic and pissed like he, he should work out fine in foxborough i feel like that's the thing that always gets me about like it's like the Patriots and like the Ravens and really like a few of these franchises that are like seem like some of the best like most consistent franchises in football. It's like it's almost like they have a way of ignoring measurables and they just draft good football players. Like I don't know why nobody else has figured this out. It's like why do you get all obsessed with oh this guy runs really fast or this guy you know did all these bench press reps and it's like. Yeah, this guy's a little bit undersized, but he has a nose for the football, and he, he you know he can blow up run plays and like all this stuff. Like all of a sudden, he's a really good NFL player. Yep, Patriots did it again. Like there's Keon White. Surprise, yeah. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Oh, he's like a perfect fit for what they do. Okay, like they'll probably be good there. Yep, Matthew Bergeron, I believe. I believe by the way, split uh, should should slot in with the Falcons' offensive line as a guard. Uh, I think that'll work very well. Um, that's that's a really good offensive line already. That'll be a good situation for him. And, and then again, Tyreek Stevenson. I mean, Miami's defense has had issues over the years, but that is a really good individual that I think you know get put him in the right scheme, put him with some good coaching. I think that'll work out really well. Yeah. Now they they still churn out some players. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Third round, uh, seventy two to the Cardinals. Garrett Williams, defensive back out of Syracuse. Seventy nine to the Colts. Josh Downs, receiver out of North Carolina. Eighty two to the Bucks. Uh, defensive end Yaya Diaby out of Louisville. Eighty six to the Ravens. Trenton Simpson, linebacker out of Clemson, and then eighty nine to the Rams. Kobe Turner, defensive end out of Wake Forest. Um, again, some guys that are really good players. Josh Downs is the one that sticks out to me as a guy who's like. Kind of this undersized wide receiver. Now, this is a, a draft built on a undersized wide receiver class just across the board, basically. Um, but a guy who I think was, you know, a lot more productive in college than maybe will fit in the NFL. But then again, the Colts, you know, a recent home of T.Y. Hilton, who was a very undersized guy who was very, very effective in the NFL. So, you know, hard to say that that's just not going to work outright. Yeah, and I've made this comparison on the podcast before with Downs where I think he's like kind of a souped up version of Jamison Crowder. I feel mm-hmm. like he yeah. I feel like he could work. Um just because we saw Jamison Crowder. Crowder's right? a really good comp. I mean a little undersized, real fast, good good in, a good player in space, catches everything. There are a lot of 
a lot of things there that really kind of measure up to the player that Jamison Crowder was at Duke, by the way, when Duke wasn't even that good. He was a star, and Downs was a star for Carolina for three years. I think he'll fit fine as long as he's being utilized correctly because I think there's a lot to like about his skill set, even though he is not the biggest guy. It's really a shame that he wasn't like 6'3", 215. He could have really had a chance to be really disappointing at Clemson, frankly. But anyways. (laughs) uh, There it is. (laughs) We're we're what, about 12 minutes in? That's... uh... (laughs) Getting a shot into the Clemson receiver room. The Here time, we go. We're back, the time is The time is nigh, as they say, or something like that. <laughs> Fourth round of the Panthers, 114. Uh, Chandler Zavala, offensive lineman out of NC State. 119 to the Chiefs. Chamari Connor, safety out of Virginia Tech. And then 120 to the Jets. Carter Warren, offensive lineman out of Pittsburgh. We're starting to get into that period of the uh, the draft, Mike, where I'm – Getting a little less familiar with the names here. Now, when th- you know, there's three picks and two of them are offensive linemen, that's just going to happen. Yeah. I, I'm just going to speak about the Shamari Connor pick because Virginia Tech's been bad for a long time. Shamari Connor's been really – he had a really good college career, and he was just a really productive player as a defensive back. Was just kind of overlooked because Virginia Tech, their defense as a whole, was not very good for a few years there, and – but he's been consistent, right? And I, you know, these NFL teams have been hitting on Virginia Tech safeties, right? Like Chuck Clark's a really good example, right? Chuck Clark gets drafted again. He is like the fifth or sixth player you think of on like a good Virginia Tech defense, right? When he was there, like in in, in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, like a good Virginia Tech defense. He's not Kendall Fuller, right? He's not Brandon Faison. He's um, not one of those guys in the defensive back room, but he's had a really nice NFL career so far, right? He's made a Pro Bowl. He's He was really good for the Ravens, um, just moved on in free agency, right? But now, you know, you have a guy in Chuck in, um, Shamari Connor, who I think is kind of of the similar mold. He's a sure tackler. He's got good size. Like, I think he'll be a pretty productive player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's of the three guys here. That's that's the name I know. Like, and right yeah. again, it's a shame. Like Virginia Tech's secondary in in general hasn't been particularly great the last couple of years, but that's the kind of thing where like one particularly good player is not going to make the difference. Like you, you need like a whole right. unit that plays well together, and I don't think it's been on Shamari Connor the reason that that unit hasn't been as effective. No. Put it that right. way. Correct. Correct. Yep. Fifth round. 136 to the Jaguars, Yasir Abdullah, uh, outside linebacker, rush-end guy out of Louisville. Uh, 137, the next pick to the Commanders was K.J. Henry, defensive lineman out of Clemson. 143 to the Jets, Izzy Abanaconda, running back out of Pittsburgh. 145 to the Panthers, Jamie Robinson, defensive back out of Florida State. 153 to the Bucks, Servassier Dennis, linebacker out of Pittsburgh. 156 to the Chargers, Jordan McFadden, offensive lineman out of Clemson. 159 to the Packers, Dontavian Wicks, receiver out of Virginia. 162 to the Colts, Will Mallory, tight end out of Miami. 169 to the Cowboys, Asim Richards, offensive lineman out of North Carolina. 175 to the Rams, Davis Allen, tight end out of Clemson. I got to tell you, Mike, again, I'm a little bit surprised at some of the, a couple of the names that we saw in the fourth round versus what we're seeing here in the fifth round because like, there's a lot of these guys that I think could be pretty – like. 
steal like high value kind of guys of like how did that guy last until the fifth round you know three four years into their nfl careers there's a lot of good football players here i feel like literally if will mallory could stay on the field like i feel like cam's been telling us about will mallory since the inception of this podcast and if he can stay (laughs) if if he can stay healthy that is going to be a steal in the fifth round for the colts an absolute steal Mm -hmm. like Mm-hmm. really athletic catches everything um he's not your traditional like end of the line tight end but you can split him out and, and he can do some different things um has the skills to be like a almost like a second round level player like very very sure. good tight end yeah for sure um so he, he's the one that stood out to me and then Servasi Dennis of course too because you know we're talking about, okay a little undersized yeah he's a little undersized but like knows for the football really good football player at Pittsburgh on a good defense. Just go ahead and pick that guy earlier than the fifth round. Like, sorry mm-hmm. he's not 6'3", 240, and runs a 4'4". He's a good player, though. So it'll mm-hmm. be fine. Like, I, I think he's another guy in the NFL that's going to have a nice career, in my opinion. He's King Charles' favorite knight, Mike. Servasier Dennis. That's that's right. That's Careful, careful. I... I... <laughs> That was one of my better. That that was one of my better jokes. It was, <laughs> that was, the, that uh, was awesome. It was, uh, <laughs> it was the Queen Elizabeth II Memorial Player to Watch that week. I think it's a Dennis. It was it was something like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Man, I had some bangers. <laughs> I'll call out Dontavian Wicks too. By the way, uh, a guy yes. who again, I think he struggled to stay healthy a little bit at Virginia in college, but. Um, a guy whose game I think may well translate extremely well to the NFL. Um, very, you know, a, a big-bodied athletic receiver who I, I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like there now that Aaron Rodgers has been traded. Again, catching up on things that have happened since we recorded last time. But yes, um, in any case, I mean, that I think he's got a chance to be, you know, a pretty effective NFL player, put it that way. Agree. Sixth round, 180 to the Cardinals, Keetrell Clark, corner out of Louisville. 195 to the Saints, A.T. Perry, receiver out of Wake Forest, and then 208 to the Jaguars, Eric Hallett, uh, defensive back out of Pittsburgh. A.T. Perry to the Saints, man. I Again, Falcons fan, hate the Saints. That's a good pick. That guy can good play. Pick. And I, I think that's a game, again, yeah. I kind of can't believe that he lasted until the sixth round. Like, that's a, that's a guy. That is a ball player right there is A.T. Perry. Yeah, and I, real quick, you mentioned the Keytrail Clark pick. Um, Louisville, a lot of players on their defense were drafted. A lot of players. Mm-hmm. Was that five or six? Let's see. There was him. There was Yaya Diaby, uh, Yasir uh, Abdullah. So that's at least three. I think was it only three? Yeah, I think only three. Okay. But still, for an often underwhelming defense, that's a lot of talent getting drafted. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Now that part of me wonders, like, you know, if, if the defense had continued to be what they were in 2021 into 2022, would any of them have been drafted? Right. This, this is after they improved is they had three draft picks. Right. So I don't know. Kind of an interesting thing to consider there. Yeah. Considerable strides forward. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Seventh round, Mike 219 to the lions, Antoine green receiver out of North Carolina, 227 to the Jaguars, Raymond Voshek. Defensive lineman out of North Carolina. 246 to the Bengals. DJ Ivy, defensive back out of Miami. 
And then finally, 248 to the Texans, Brandon Hill, defensive back out of Pittsburgh. And, Mike, I would be, uh, I would be remiss if we did not mention at 179 to the Packers, defensive lineman Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green State University. Yeah, baby. Oh, wait. Hang on. Hang on. There it is. Oh, there we there go. There we go. Now we got the media yeah. board going. All right. Yeah. The, the first one was the Falcon. The Falcon was dying in the first clip, but it's back. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Antoine Green, seventh round. Sure. Yeah. Receiver. And DJ Ivy, seventh round defensive back. Sure. It works. You're fired from the hip once you get to round seven. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an uh, Do you have an opinion? There's There's been a growing sentiment that I've heard, and it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Are you Are you bought in on the the idea of shortening the NFL draft? Like get rid of the seventh round, basically. Once you Once you get to round seven, they're not making a considerable amount of money more than an undrafted free agent. Like they're getting. I think often the undrafted guys make more. You're not like, getting these. You're not getting these like fully guaranteed. Like contracts, right? You're getting I, that, that. That's what makes me wonder, right? Like, all right, Malik Cunningham too. Like, he got paid as an undrafted free agent, by the way, mm-hmm. um, by the Patriots. <laughs> got paid. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Can't largest. Be worse than Mac Jones. Oh God, <laughs> Lord help me. It's okay. Our Lord and Savior Bailey Zappi is there to take over <laughs> quarterback. And Zappy, we trust. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll they'll pay some money in uh, undrafted free agency, you know. Whereas, like these seventh round picks aren't getting these guaranteed contracts anyway. I'm all for shortening it. NFL draft geeks are going to be all angry that I said that. I don't really care. I watched I watched bits and pieces of the NFL draft, man. But Joey, as you know, like I have a kid now and there's just other stuff going on. I can't just sit in front of my TV to watch the draft for three days, you know? Uh, absolutely. i not sure I watched basically a second of it after the end of the first round, basically. Like, it's right. like did not Celtics, pay any attention to it. And the Celtics and the Bruins at that time were both in the playoffs still. Um, so, I mean, the Celtics are still in as we're recording this, but maybe not by the time we release it. So, just want to <laughs> put that out there. Anyway, that, like, for the playoffs right. were on. Yeah, for the playoff games were on, too. So, you know, there's other stuff conflicting with this for me. My my big takeaway is that, like, kind of like you alluded to, I, I think that you can make as much, if not more, money as an undrafted free agent than you'll make as a seventh-round pick, A. And then, B, I mean, you get past, like, the fifth round, you, you start getting a little bit into, like, lottery ticket like throwing darts territory where a lot of these guys like aren't even going to make rosters like they're just going to end up getting cut before opening week or whatever and so like if versus the guys that don't get drafted at least they have a little bit of agency like in where they go where they feel like they fit and their game you know plays the best like so that that's the kind of thing that I think of is like well you know, you have guys that if if they get the chance to decide, like, oh, I'd rather go to Team A versus Team B, it helps them. You know, from a career standpoint, it it helps. I think it helps everybody. It's it's to everybody's benefit. So that's really yeah. kind of my thought. 
No, I yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. I mean, general managers are drinking while they're making these picks in the sixth and seventh round. You know, so <laughs> they got to find a way to get to five o'clock on Saturday, just like the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, they got kids too, <laughs> so they're probably doing other stuff other than drafting kids anyway. I I really want to believe. If you remember the uh, the screenshot from I think it was the 2020 draft. You know when everyone's doing it all from home and uh, they were showing Bill Belichick drafting. Except instead of him, it was like his husky sitting at his computer. That's what I picture is like the seventh round. Basically, is, I don't know. Let 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 your uh, let your six year old and your dog make make picks at that point. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about. I mean, and that was on like that was on like the, he was up at his beach house on the Cape. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> man, this is the best draft Belichick's ever had. He's drafted from the beach. Meanwhile, you got Roger Goodell. And you talk about you talk about people that have draft fatigue. You got Roger Goodell, who's like slumped over on his couch at like pick 27 <laughs> of the first round. He's like, oh, my God, get me out of here. Like, it's like Taking I am ready nap. to go home. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that clip went viral of him like on the couch, just like, oh, my God, I want this to end. <laughs> Like, sitting even good tv for the commissioner of the league yeah it was pretty funny it's, it's like now now you know how the rest of us feel roger when you're lining your pockets <laughs> and we're all like sick of this shit on round five you know, <laughs> round six it's like come on man mike there is one name from the acc that really sticks out as kind of tragic that uh, we have not mentioned yet and it's a little bit like legitimately tragic but also a little bit like comedically tragic we'll say that um, Mike, I, I found out, I was looking at Twitter the other day and I saw from at Sean Tucker, 2020, there it is that he was hashtag pleased to be a Buccaneer. Um, there was something going on and, and Syracuse fans are going to be like yelling at their radio here in just a second. But like, I, there was something I think injury wise or something that kept him, he wasn't Dang invited up. to the combine or he wasn't able to be at the combine. Basically he ended up having a pro day like a week before the draft. Basically it was very, very late in the process. Um, I will say I'm a little bit surprised. I, I don't, I haven't looked all, you know, at all the running backs that were taken, but like the level of productivity that Syracuse got from Sean Tucker in the last couple of years, like that guy can kind of do it all. He can pass protect. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He, you know, he runs between the tackles. Like he can do it all. I'm a little surprised that like nobody yeah. in seven rounds took a shot on him. Yeah. Um, I, I that that was the one thing that really kind of s- surprised me and stuck out to me. Yeah, it says a lot about how the league values running backs too, because like a lot of Sean Tucker's success came between the tackles. Also, like he's not like one of the best receiving backs in the draft. Obviously, I think if that were the case, he would have been picked a lot higher. If there weren't an injury history there, he would have been picked a lot higher. So there were some things working against him there too. Yeah. That's that's really one of the tough things about running back over any other position is the uh, the whole like tread on the tires calculation that these teams have to make is you know a guy that and and that's the one thing that kind of goes against him is that he had a lot of touches in college like he was the focal point of that Syracuse yeah. offense and at that point I mean you've been tackled that many times you've you know you've had a couple of injuries like. I guess that's that's the that's fair is that an NFL team might be looking at that and saying, well, how many years or how many you know how many touches am I going to get out of this guy if I draft him, even in the sixth or the seventh round? And you know, looking at a couple of the names, I mean, there were only let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen running backs drafted yeah. in all seven rounds. I mean, that is. 
astoundingly low. I didn't even realize right. that until I again counted this live as a, a podcasting wizard that I am. Um, I did not know that. Wow, that's well. The that's one telling. thing, the one thing too, like this is this is a big reason why is he a Bannacanda right at Pittsburgh was picked over Sean Tucker, different kind of running back, not as much tray on the tires, right? He, he was in a shared workload in the backfield of Pittsburgh. Um, they threw a lot, right. When, when Pickett was there, right. His last two years in particular. Mm-hmm. So like a Bannacanda did not get the touches did not get the volume that Sean Tucker got. And he's just a different kind of running back, right? He's not just a straight between mm-hmm. the tackles runner. You can catch passes out of the backfield, that sort of thing. So there's a reason why teams are taking a swing on a Banacanda in either the fifth or sixth round. I can't remember what you said. Um, fifth, fifth. Fifth round of the Jets. In the fifth versus Sean Tucker, undrafted free agent, can clearly play, good player. I would take Sean Tucker over a Banacanda if I was starting my college football team tomorrow. Like, But there's a reason why one guy got picked over the other. Right, and that's not mm-hmm. a knock on a Banacanda. Good player at Pittsburgh. God bless him. Hope he does well. But like, it's just a different situation, right? And I, I think the NFL just values that position differently than the college game does. Yep. Mike, any other thoughts on the NFL draft before we move on here? I don't think so. I, I don't think uh, the listeners were expecting to get more NFL draft content in May, but that's why you listen to our <laughs> podcast. That's right. Timely coverage of uh, important events. Yes. Which is why we should probably bring up uh, the article from Syracuse.com from April 11th, Mike, where we <laughs> learned a month ago in you know three tomorrow. hours, basically. Yeah, I was going to say tomorrow. A month ago, we learned that a man named Adam Weitzman has informed Syracuse.com and others that he will no longer be providing NIL benefits to Syracuse athletes. Now, if you're asking yourself, who is Adam Weitzman? That is a great question. And I was asking myself the same thing up until shortly before we click the record button. Um, Adam Weitzman is the founder and CEO of a prominent recycling company up in upstate New York. And a guy who I guess just loves Syracuse and, and loves Syracuse athletics um, he had previously promised to endow like a million dollar NIL deal for both a five star football player and a five star basketball player at Syracuse um, has frequently been pictured bringing celebrities to Syracuse football and basketball games. A guy who I, I guess was just, you know, again, one of the most prominent boosters for Syracuse, who I guess got the idea that Syracuse Chancellor Kent <clears throat> Siverude, S-Y-V-E-R-U-D. We'll work that one out later. Better you than me. Um, got the idea that Kent Siverude, the chancellor, decided that he didn't want Weitzman involved with Syracuse for whatever reason. So now he's just out on that. Um, and and it's, at some point, Mike, I guess, you know, at this day and age of college sports and football and especially, like, NIL support is a big deal in terms of how your program is able to recruit. And we've talked before about Syracuse kind of maybe not being in the best situation as it relates to recruiting and being able to keep up with the ACC and the rest of the Power Five in terms of talent. And now somebody has somehow pissed off a major donor and cut off a significant pipeline of NIL money. And I just don't think that helps Syracuse in a uh, in, you know in the recruiting game is I think the big takeaway here. Yeah, as Biggie once said, "Mo money, mo problems." And you know what? That's right. Facts. 
Syracuse is not <laughs> Syracuse is not worried about that. Less money, more problems, right? Like <laughs> also Adam 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 Weitzman, correct? Weitzman with an S. Weitzman. Weitz Weitzman. W e i t s m a n. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. Not 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 white like the color Weitzman. Okay, got it. Weitzman, definitely not. Okay, he. Okay, so he's proof, by the way, that you can make a lot of money by just taking out the trash. So, at a boy, yeah, nailed it. Got it. Uh, got so him. Re- there you go. So. Recycling boy has been cut out of the uh, <laughs> cut out of the Syracuse family. It sounds like in terms of providing money to athletes, cut himself out. Cut himself out. You don't out want me. Mad. I don't want you. Cut himself out because he doesn't get along with somebody he has never met. It sounds like. Yeah, that was that was noted in the article. He's like, I haven't actually met this guy, but it seems like he doesn't like me. So, oh yeah, kick rocks. It's like, yeah, sure. Go ACC. Not, nothing like um, some Go ACC upstate New York drama. <laughs> NIL recycling boy stuff. Yeah, it's good. Yes. It's good. Uh, on a related note, Mike, you might remember, um, I think it was maybe about this time last year uh, after Miami was coming off of like a final, final four. It was an Elite Eight run, I think is what it was. There was some uh, some drama surrounding Miami athletics and NIL, the NIL space. Where uh, mega booster donor John Ruiz had uh, promised some money for a transfer in, and then Isaiah Wong was like, "Dude, I'm here, and I'm the best player. Like, offer me some money." And it was like one of the most thinly veiled like pay for play offers that has been played out in the media since NIL was allowed, basically by the NCAA. It was ridiculous. Yep. But when that all came out, the point is, uh, a lot of people were like, wait, well, who the hell is John John Ruiz? Like, what is this? Well, John Ruiz is some, again, I don't know, crypto, medical, something or other. But basically, he's the CEO of a company called LifeWallet. Um, and LifeWallet was the company that was actually supposedly funding these NIL deals for uh, Miami football and basketball players especially. Um, I think the Cavender Twins, uh, a couple of women's basketball players, they got in on that and it was basically he was the major major donor of nil dollars to miami well mike i don't know if you've know what has happened since then but basically life wallet went public and when they opened less than a year ago they opened up at ten dollars a share as i look at it right now life wallet is at 46 cents per share as in they have lost yeah over 90 percent of the value of that stock since they went public which again not necessarily helping Miami from an NIL funding standpoint. Yeah, now he's outside of the basketball game shaking a can asking people for money. <laughs> so, life comes at asking you fast. Asking for that baby. bailout money. Yeah, life comes at you fast. <laughs> it does. It does. I and I I mean, I don't know what the maybe this will all end up being like immaterial as it as it relates to these programs and such, but just wanted to bring this up again. NIL, the more that time goes on and, and the more that college football continues to evolve, like NIL and the money that athletes are able to make through that, I'll call it a farce of a program, but or, or you know, a farce of a construct. But, you know, the, the money that is available to athletes using that whole provision is a big piece of the recruiting that these programs do. And when yep. that money starts to dry up a little bit and is not like keeping up with the Joneses in terms of what other programs are able to do. 
it's going to have an impact negatively on how these programs are able to recruit. And right, I mean, I'm just saying these. This is Syracuse and this is Miami, two programs. I'm I'm confident that you know there's nonsense like this with just individuals going on at all. You know, most of the other ACC programs, as well as a lot of other non-ACC programs across the country. So it's yeah. As you see these stories come up, that's that's the thing to keep an eye on. Is like, well, this could have impacts on the level of talent that they're able to bring into these programs. Yeah, and everybody talks about like, oh, Bryce Young, he's a million dollar NIL athlete and all this. Like, there's only really a few of those, right? It's like the top at the top at the top at the top of the high school recruiting class. But there is a lot. There are a lot of players who are looking for NIL deals that aren't nearly as lucrative, right? They just want some money for coming to school and, and playing football and mm-hmm. making some money on NIL deal where if you're Syracuse, right? We're not even pretending that Syracuse and Miami are swimming in the same pool in terms of like the prospects are trying to get because they're not right. Um, not at all. But it's, but it is an issue that's affecting both schools, right? It's an issue that's affecting both schools. Like Adam Weitzman withholding money, being a key, a key donor at Syracuse and withholding money, that's supposed to go to an NIL collective or whatever, right, to, to fund the experience of the athlete at Syracuse, that's going to affect recruiting for Dino Babers, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to affect it in the way that it would affect Miami, right? John Ruiz affecting Miami because they're not going after the same prospects, but they're facing the mm-hmm. same issue, right? Now, mm-hmm. like, a, a high three-star from the Northeast who could go play at almost whatever school, let's say like Penn state, right? He's a high three-star linebacker, right? And James Franklin wants him to come play at Penn state, but he's, you know, born and raised like right down the street from camp, you know, right down the street from campus at Syracuse. And he's saying, what do you got for me? And you don't have anything. And he's just a high three-star. He's not a five-star like Miami's going after, but they're facing the same issue, mm-hmm. right? It's the same. So it's going mm-hmm. to affect different schools in different ways, but the issue is still going to be the same, right? Like NIL is a big part of how you recruit, no matter like what type of prospect you're getting, right? Everybody, the big stories that make national headlines are the ones where you're going after a Bryce Young or Quinn Ewers or, you know, a CJ Stroud. Like those are the, the big headline grabbers. Like what are those guys making? But that's like top at the top, like top half percent of college athletes making that kind of money. Everybody else is making thousands of dollars here, thousands of dollars there, but nowhere near that type of money, but still impacting these schools. So it's just something to continue to keep an eye on as this thing evolves. Well, the other the other lens I think you could look at this through as well is, I mean, we, we've had the conversation for years on this show, Mike, is... Syracuse is having issues. How much of it is Dino Babers versus how yeah. much of it is Syracuse, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think if you think about it this way, it's like, well, it, at any moment, it feels like Syracuse could somehow decide to fire Dino Babers. And we, we've talked about yeah, like, there's reasons they might not, like all this stuff. That's not the point. The point is if if they did and they said, you know what, we could probably do better than this guy is giving us. The other coaches who would be potential candidates for this job at Syracuse – one of the first things they'd be looking at is seeing, oh, you've got this major donor who now no longer wants to do business with you. Like immediately day one, that makes your job more difficult stepping yeah. in is if you if you don't have that funding, you know. And so your your best hope is that this is just some like pissing contest in the media of you know, a bunch of like a nothing burger. But if this is real, 
Yep. This just made the Syracuse job that much harder, and you don't need it to be a harder job. Like right on the money, right on the money. Because these days, it's not just like infrastructure. Now, it's not just like what's the funding look like for my assistant coaching pool. What's the funding look like for the facilities? Right, that's still part of it, a key part of it. Right, we're not pretending that it's not. But also, like, what's the NIL situation? That's something that's mm-hmm. over the last two and a half years. Like, that's a huge deal now, and it's only going to continue to get bigger. And that is a great point. Like, it's going to affect coaching searches. Because if you mm-hmm. don't think Dino's the guy, and we've said, okay, is it a Dino problem? Is it a Syracuse problem? We've said a million times on this podcast. Like, if you're going to fire Dino, right, and you're going to bring in the next guy, is the next guy going to be better is the question we always ask. But maybe the question we should start asking is, like, what does Syracuse have to offer to this coach that's going to come in and replace Dino, right? Like, how is Syracuse mm-hmm. going to make their own situation better? I'm not just talking about hiring a better coach. I mean, like, having the, the everything in place to bring in a coach that's better than Dino Babers. Like, are you are you even going to have mm-hmm. that option if you decide to move on from them? Like, that's the question they're going to have yeah. to start asking, you know, if, if they run into issues with donors. That's, that's a problem that a lot of schools are going to have to ask themselves. Well, and that narrative has come up with multiple recent – like of this this coaching cycle's hires, right? Like Nebraska has been a mess ever since they fired Bo Pelini, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But part of the reason that I think it was an attractive job for Matt Rule is, well, these guys are like armed to the gills with NIL money. They just need somebody they can believe in and you know trust to actually deploy it. Right. So like that was a major selling part of that job. Why did Luke Fickle pick up and leave from Cincinnati when they're about to go to the Big Twelve? Like they've been they've had that thing rolling. They're good. It's because Cincinnati did not have NIL stuff going, and it felt like right. what Wisconsin had to offer was way better, right? So, like, right. I'm just saying, these coaches are looking at this stuff and considering this stuff, and so it's something just to keep in mind and consider as Big as we go forward and make decisions on, yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at all levels, basically, for for better or worse. And yep. again, this stuff drives me up a wall. I cannot I cannot begin to explain to you how much this stuff kind of bugs me at a at a core level, but. You know, this is this, these are the waters that we're swimming in. These are the this is the game that we're playing these days. So it is what it is. Like we've said from the start, these athletes deserve a piece of the NIL. But where are the guardrails <laughs> in terms of what schools mm-hmm. can and cannot do? What you know, these agents because that's what they are. These agents for these boosters, what can they do? What can't they do in terms of reaching out to players and tampering, like? There are so many issues with this right now that I don't even know where to start. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's it's a disaster, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to be like get off get off my lawn, guy Joey. I don't want to be that guy, but like this is a disaster. <laughs> like this is not. This is what happens when you let the NCAA just like pussyfoot around for years, years mm-hmm. where where they just can't really they can't really get their feet under them and then it literally took an act from congress in order to get these guys paid and now they're getting paid and now it's out of your hands in terms of like what you can and cannot do if you're the ncaa but they did this to themselves and now it's just Mm -hmm. it's a mess i mean i'm glad players are getting paid and and for the nil and and their name their image or likeness all that stuff i'm glad they're getting their fair share but man oh man this is a disaster i mean players are getting tampered with they're they're transferring before you know the transfer portal, the one time transfer rule. You know it's it's like it's college free agency. Mm-hmm. I could go on about this for hours, but it's just not it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, we we, we got to do something to fix it because 
yeah, we we have opened the floodgates a little too far. I think at this point, it's you got, yeah, yeah, you got to put some a couple of controls, a couple of limits in place somehow, some way. Because yeah. yeah, what we're doing now is is not good for the game. It, no. Just full stop. Yeah, Mike, it's been a minute, um, and one of the things that happens when it's been a minute is uh, Section One Hundred Three has had a chance to release some new some new swag. And this one is, is particularly near and dear to my heart. So as everyone knows here, it, it, Section 103 is the Internet's premier place to buy all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, things for men, women, children, something for the whole family. It is wonderful. And, and since we last recorded, Mike, they came out with a shirt that this is like, this is a little bit of a, a Georgia Tech deep cut, a little bit of a, like an OGs, you know, would know. They came out with a Junior's Grill shirt. So... Anybody here who's listening is, is an OG Georgia Tech, you know, student, grad, et cetera. You might remember Junior's Grill from the, uh, the, the lowest floor of the Tech Tower. Uh, it is an on-campus tradition. Um, it closed back in, I think it was 2011, maybe. Um, but a, a wonderful memory for, for Georgia Tech fans and, and Georgia Tech students and alumni and such. Um, there is a new shirt from Section 103 since we last recorded that you can go on in there and get. It is a really good-looking shirt. It is, it is unique, uh, but it celebrates a, a fantastic Georgia Tech tradition, as a lot of Section 103 shirts do. They, they all have the official word marks. Um, all the, again, super comfortable. I'm wearing mine right now. Um, I put this on this morning before I even knew we were going to record a podcast today. It is super comfortable. I just I love wearing it, so cannot recommend it enough. Go visit section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, Mike, it's also graduation season. So if you've got graduates in your life that need a, a shirt that says, I'm a rambling wreck from Georgia Tech and a hell of an engineer, they got those. That flag on the rambling wreck that says, to hell with Georgia on it. Yeah, they got those too. That, that logo is on their shirts, their hoodies, all that. Go find them all at section103.com. And once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Thank you so much to Stephen and Section 103 for their partnership. We uh, we really appreciate it. Even when we don't record for two months. <laughs> it's, it's not on him. Just had to That's slide that us. in at the end. Yes. Right. That's on us. Mike, there's also been rule changes. Um, I, there were rule changes to college football since we last recorded. Are, are you aware of these? I am. So... Clock's going to be running after first downs, right? Except for mm-hmm. inside the last two minutes of each half, right? Mm-hmm. So when it matters, it's not going to be running after first downs. So you can still, you know, make your way down the field for a miracle end of game drive. So the drama is still going to be in place in college football at the end of half, at the end of the games. So um, everybody's screaming about that can relax. You know, that's a key part of the rule that I think is really important. Uh, you can no longer call consecutive timeouts. So the whole icing the kicker thing, you can call one timeout. You can't call two in a row. Um, if you need to call a timeout because you don't get the right offensive personnel on the field and then you somehow screw it up coming out of the timeout anyway, like Justin Fuentes' Virginia Tech teams used to do, you can't call another timeout. So you can't do that anymore either. And finally, Just Joey, jump off sides and cause a penalty. Right. Or if you're in the stands... <laughs> You yeet yourself off the top of the stadium. Also, the... Go streaking uh, across the field. We do yes. not endorse that. Right. Uh, the streaking across the field thing is probably better <laughs> than what I just said. 
the fi- the final <laughs> thing is there will there will no longer be the untimed down at the end of the second quarter at the I'm sorry at the end of the first quarter at the end of the third quarter so if there's a penalty committed there will no longer be like a dead ball uh play at the end of those two quarters so um there'll just be the you know the penalty will be enforced on the next play or the first play of the next quarter so mm-hmm. I mean how often does that happen Joey we were just talking about this like maybe once a year for your team maybe once or twice a week across the entire sport so I mean I mean wide sweeping changes biggest one obviously is the clock how do you feel about that I I was gonna say I mean the, the last two that you mentioned if we're talking about like trying to reduce the time of a game I mean I would guess that those two maybe reduce it by like 90 seconds I mean it's pretty rare situations like it's little like one-off things in certain games like those are going to impact right the the biggest one like you mentioned being hey we're gonna we're not gonna stop the clock after first downs for the first 28 minutes of both have both halves um i'm okay with it like i think that one actually will kind of reduce the number of plays it'll reduce the length of games like and that's that's good and honestly mike the way that i think of it i I'm actually okay with it because I think that that is going to result in a couple more upsets. And the reason I think of that is if you think about the games that have been like near misses in recent years, a lot of times it is that the, the less talented, you know, the underdog team gets a significant lead and then a favorite is able to come storming back because they get all this time. Well, if, if you reduce the amount of time that those teams have to make comebacks, yeah, I mean, can you make like a one drive situation in the final two minutes? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the same thing as it always has been, but like you talk about bleeding clock and, and, and like bleeding the time left in the game differently before that two minute mark in the fourth quarter, it reduces the number of plays. It, it enhances the ability of an underdog to take control and retain control of a game in a way that I think will result in upsets that personally I love. And I think is one of the, one of the really fun things about college football is when a team is not supposed to win a one game situation is able to pull off something really kind of spectacular, especially when it's like in front of their home fans. It's like my favorite thing. Buddy, you're doing a dangerous thing. And it's called assuming that these coaches are going to get the clock management right. And boy, oh boy, Joey, do I have news for you? Oh, I, I make no assumptions of that. I, like, I, yeah. <laughs> so, the flip side, first of all, I agree with you. Um, I, I think it's a really good point. Something I hadn't thought of, and I, I'm i in your camp there. I think that's definitely a possibility because I think there's just going to be different ways for you know the underdog to bleed out the clock a little bit easier than they have in the past. No doubt about it. The one thing I, I will say, Joey, is I cannot wait to see the new clock management blunders because there are going to be so many of them. Week to mm-hmm. week, beginning in week zero here in a few months. It's going to be unbelievable. We're going to have so much fun watching it. There are going to be collapses. Scott Van Pelt's going to be doing the show in, <laughs> in, uh, in D.C. He's going to be dying uh, with Stanford Steve. They're not going to believe. They're, they're going to be horrible beats. They're, they're going to be, like, totals are going to be all screwed up. Like, the whole betting part of the game is going to change, right? Because now, now the game's shortened. Now, like, lines are going to look a little, a little bit different. It's if they be, don't adjust those numbers, we're hitting unders. We're hitting under. We're hitting unders big time. Yeah, we're hitting unders big time. Um, I might be. We're going to be leaning more unders than ever before. I think just given the mm-hmm. the clock situation, and that'll correct itself. Coaches will get better at clock management. Well, I don't. 
I don't know if they'll necessarily get better at clock management, but we'll assume they do. <laughs> they and, won't. Um, they won't. And uh, <laughs> things will look different. I, guys won't get guys won't get injured as often as I think what they're going for. Like that's the goal. Like there's going to be a few less plays a game, right? Ideally, so players won't have that chance to be injured, right? And that's how you, you know, sell I, it. I mean, that's how you sell it. I mean, the, the real the real issue, like if you're complaining about the length of games, which I don't think anybody is. Right, but if you're complaining about the length of games, like the real issue is the commercials, which they'll never get rid of because mm-hmm. of money. Right, that, that's where the right. real time is spent. It's all the commercial breaks. But yeah, you got to print money for this, you know, multi-billion-dollar enterprise. Right, so um, that will never happen. So that's that's where the real time suck is. If you're if that's what you're complaining about, so you got to sell it different ways, Joe. You got to say, oh, we're uh, you know we're we're gonna run the clock after first downs. We're gonna you know you can't do multiple timeouts at a time. No untimed downs, like. Sure. Like, sure. I mean, like, Mike, you you make the point. I mean, it's exactly the, the college football media industrial complex brain says, oh, we've added all these commercials. The game has gotten too long. We've got to reduce the football to make sure yeah. that we can get all these commercials in in the same amount of time, right? Like, <laughs> let's reduce the amount of things that the fans have, like, come to the television for or have been in the stadium for. And... I don't know, like, we all thought the pitch clock in baseball was going to suck, and, like, everybody seems to like it now, and, like, I, it's enhanced the viewing experience for me, at least on, I haven't been to a game yet this year, but, like, enhanced the television viewing experience for me. Somebody pointed it out, and I went to a game a couple weeks ago, it is, it is definitively different in person than it is uh, on TV. Yeah. Like, when, yeah. when it's a little more of an operation in the stadium to get up, go use the bathroom, get another beer, and you've missed a whole inning, basically, to do that, like, yeah, yeah it's a little bit a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's the same idea, right? It's like we're trying to, you know, the, 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 the broadcast has gotten too long. So to combat that, we're not going to reduce the commercials. We're going to reduce the football. Like, it's like, yeah. all right, fine, you know, whatever. Yeah. This, is, this is the world we live in now. Yeah. Less football is never a great thing, right? So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh. Uh, great. We're getting rid of more foot. We're getting rid of football. I don't think this is really going to impact like the length of games significantly. I mean, it's going to have no. a it, as far as like overall time it takes. Like, it's going to be maybe like I, I think they were saying like six or seven minutes shorter or something like that is what they were going to be able to cut. Which okay. And I, I've heard discussions of if you want to put it in terms of like offensive snaps. I think it's maybe 10 like it's it's really not you know people have done studies on this of like you know what would it have been it's yeah i mean you're you're cutting out like seven or eight offensive snaps basically which yeah. is not is not huge and and it's not going to make a big difference it's not all of a sudden you're not going to have you know national title caliber teams going 9 and 3 because there's 10 less plays per game like that's that's not the case so that would be that would be very funny though that would be chaos and it would be awesome i would love yes. it yeah parody would be cool that's right. Yeah, so I don't know. It's fine. Um, I, I don't think it'll make a huge difference. Uh, it's probably one of those things where, especially like with the pitch clock, like you you kind of quickly get used to it, and at some point, relatively quickly, again, you're just not it, it's you're not even phased by it. Or it would be like, you know, oh man, you remember like what it was like back when they stopped the clock after first downs with eight minutes left in the first quarter? Like, no, I don't remember that. I don't pay attention to it now. So right, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, rule changes, I don't know. Small deal, not a big deal. It's fine. Um, Mike, what was your favorite spring game that you watched in the ACC? 
Oh, not Virginia Tech. <laughs> I was playing a golf tournament. <laughs> that sounds like a better use of time, frankly. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like this has become a, an annual tradition for us, Mike, is uh, just basically not paying any attention to, to spring football in the ACC. So if if you were showing up here hoping that we would have uh, in-depth analysis of the uh, Wake Forest spring game on this show, I regret to inform you we do not. Yeah, I... And they got some storylines, but I just mm-hmm. had a golf tournament that day. Couldn't couldn't make it. Even even if I didn't, yes, even if I didn't, I had to like walk the dog, check the mail, that sort of thing. <laughs> I had to like wash my grandma, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> God, <laughs> I, I am a uh, I'm, I'm a family man, Mike. I, I take care of my family. That's what it is. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'll put it this way. Um, my, I think my favorite spring game was a game that I didn't actually watch a second of. Um, it was the Virginia spring game, Mike. And so we, we've, we've kind of touched on this numerous times since uh, late last season. There was, uh, again, three players that were murdered uh, on the Virginia team. And that's been a, a brutal experience and has required a lot of healing since then. And, and I think is an ongoing process. But, you know, that was the first game of any sort I think that that Virginia's football team has played since the the events of that Sunday night and uh, I mean just again great that the team was able to get back out there and kind of have a certain return to normalcy the other thing we'll call out is uh, Mike Collins was a guy who uh, you know a teammate a player who in that incident I think took a couple of bullets Um, he ends up surviving he played in the spring game and scored a touchdown in that game as a running back so um, shout out to him. I mean, a, a huge deal, a, a big win, a big celebration. You know, a lot of things that are more important than football here. And um, just again, a, a, a nice moment for for Virginia and for for Mike Collins especially. Just wanted to give them a shout out that you know this this was by far the most important spring game in the ACC this this spring. A step back to normalcy. Hmm. Yep. But beyond that. Um, yeah, no, I did not watch any of the other spring games. I mean, I, I watched, I don't know, maybe like the first three quarters of the Tech Georgia Tech spring game. Um, I have no opinions. I have no takes. It's fine. It, I guess I would say that it, it looked um, mostly like real adult football and not like childish gimmicky nonsense that um, our man Jeff Collins would have instituted. So there was that. But Above the line or below the line or... Everybody was below the line, it turned out. Um, yeah. it, <laughs> the whole team was below the line. So, uh, yeah, no, that was, that was my, uh, my strongest spring football take. Was, uh, it looked like real football, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, well, I mean, in spring football, you, can't, you can only take so much from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know who's, actu- you know, you don't know who's actually starting. You don't know what coaches were planning on doing with like the snaps in the spring game. Right. So you get like starters on both sides of the ball. You might have starters on one team, starters on the other team. They're split. You got quarterbacks splitting time. You got, I mean, they're getting a look all up and down the roster. Um, so it's just not, it's hard to glean much of anything. Well, in my own personal hell of spring football is, offense versus defense and there's like a scoring system where if the defense gets a sack that's two points and if they create a turnover that's three points and like you've got this like whole alternate like calvin ball scoring system and 
That I just absolutely need none of. Like, can we just, again, can we just, like, play football like normal people, please? Yeah, kick a field goal, it's three points, and, yeah, God, make me crazy. Them's the rules. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Last we thing, Mike, mention, before we get out of here. Say, as I was going to say real quick, we, we, didn't, we didn't mention, like, the spring game rule changes, right, where, like, the sacks three points and all that stuff. The NCAA didn't mention that earlier with, like, the clock changes and everything else. I don't think that that was voted on necessarily. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough. It, like it, it is really tough. Honestly, when you get like certain spring games where like celebrity podcasters and stuff are brought out to like call plays and um, it, it's tricky that way, which by the way, if you would like to bring us out to your spring game and have us call plays, we'll do that. I'll, I'll make that guarantee right now. I will, I will go out there and I will call plays for your spring game. If you offer it. As Deion Sanders says, we ain't hard to find baby. <laughs> I'm bringing my own luggage and it's Louie. It's Louie. Now it might have some holes in it and hit the portal. I might have gotten it off of eBay or something, but it, it's Louie. Anyways, yeah, hit the portal. Get out of here. Uh, Mike, we promised the people that we would talk about uh, conference championship odds and win totals. Um, should we do that real quick? Yeah, we can dive into these uh, in more detail on other podcasts, but uh, we can at least give our initial takeaways. I think. There will be no less than one additional show that we hit these pretty hard before the season starts. So this is just like super preliminary stuff. Um, let's these start with the conference will, These odds will shift, too, like once people find mm-hmm. out who's playing quarterback for some of these teams, stuff like that. Fully close the transfer portal, like, mm-hmm. yeah, some of that stuff. Um Mike, let's start with conference championship odds. And to me, I'm trying to remember. I don't think in the history of this podcast we have had a favorite to win the ACC that was not Clemson. I think if you go back to 2016, I think Clemson has been favored to win the ACC every single year. Is that fair? Was Clemson favored? Um, was Clemson favored last season? Over Miami, I think they were. I don't. I don't think Miami in year one under, um, under under Cristobal. Was, I don't think that I'm they thinking, would have been favored. Maybe I'm thinking. I, I might be thinking two years ago in Diaz's last year with De'Ara King. That's po- possible. Is I don't know. I I really don't. Let me look. Um, hold on. I have. Yeah, Clemson was two to three last year. Miami was five to one, and this was on May 9th of twenty two. May eleventh, twenty three. Here we are. So, and Clemson is not favored to win the ACC because Mike, the Florida State Seminoles at plus one sixty eight so, to five. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. All right. Here's the thing because we'll get into the other odds in a second. The Clemson Florida State odds, in my mind, these are the ones that matter right now. Like in May, these are these are the two that matter, right? We can get into value picks, all that stuff. These are the two that matter. And Joey, I made a claim. I made a claim at the end of last year because of how Florida State was playing, kind of where Clemson was trending offensively. That Florida State might be my pick, and they still might be my pick going into the year to like win the ACC. They still certainly might be. Jordan Travis really good. Like they're returning a lot of talent, all that. But I do feel like Clemson bringing in Garrett Riley does change the calculus a little bit. Where mm-hmm. like I think it's a lot closer, and and not that these odds aren't close, they are right. But I think 
in my mind anyway, it's a lot closer than it was when I made that initial statement towards the end of last season, like sometime in November where I was like, hey, Florida State might be my pick (laughs) to win the conference next year. And they still very well Mm -hmm. might be. But like, this is a lot closer now. I think that Clemson just really just decided that they were going to just throw their entire offensive philosophy under Brandon Streeter out the window and bring in Garrett Riley, who just led TCU to a national title appearance. Which I support this decision, frankly. Yeah. I, I, I like that yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've been critical of Dabo, but like this was when this happened, we were both like, hey, this is a move you had to make. Now, there's other stuff he has to do. They got to utilize transfer portal, all that stuff, because like it's not 2012 anymore. <laughs> like you can't just have the same roster all four years, expect guys to stick around and be developed and all. I mean, that's just not the way this works anymore. You have to utilize the portal. It's like another, it's, it's another form of recruiting. So there's other stuff they have to well, do. And you, like, I mean, you just, you put even that bigger of a microscope on yourself to get all of your evaluations in high school, right? You got to nail like every if, single one mm-hmm. and then keep them and then keep them on the mm-hmm. roster. Like, and have them turn out and yeah, I mean everything, right? Like it's, it's gotta go perfect. And the culture, culture's important. Dabo preaches culture, 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 right? We know culture is important to Dabo. He's not wrong about that. The culture in your program is important. Ask Miami. <laughs> like, it's important. Mm-hmm. They're trying to over, mm-hmm. I mean, Cristobal's in the process of trying to overhaul that right now. And hopefully they get a better version. I mean, I don't think they'll be fantastic this year, but like, I think they'll be a little bit better. But like, you got to overhaul a culture sometimes. And Dabo having his in place is really important to him, and it should be, because when you attract transfers, you got to attract the right type, right? But also, like, your culture now isn't going to be so good that you're going to keep guys around when they can hit the portal and play somewhere immediately. Like, nobody's culture is that good. So I don't care how much Mm-mm. he preaches that, right? I don't care how, mu- how much he believes in his brand and all that stuff. And he should, because it's proven. He's won national championships. He's been to play- college football playoffs. His brand has worked for years, but it hasn't worked recently, and it's because mm-hmm. of a number of things, right? Offensive coordinator being one of them. He's, he's remedied, we think he's remedied that. Garrett Riley, good pick. Another thing is, like, other teams are using the portal now. Florida State's using the portal. Mm-hmm. Where did Jared Verse come from? One of their best Florida State's, like, one of the very best years. at using the portal out of anybody. And that's why, and that's why they leapfrogged them, <laughs> right? At least on paper. That, mm-hmm. That's why they leapfrogged him in the odds. That's like... Jared Verse has been had been one of their best defensive players the last couple of years. Where'd they get him? Yep. Junior college. He came from the portal. Like Albany? Yeah. Right? So I mean this is or yeah, Albany, FCS level. So like this is mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Like you've got to utilize the portal, right? And Dabo will figure it out or he won't and he'll be gone. But he's like slowly changing his thought process on things, and that's my long and short way of saying I think Clemson can certainly win the ACC still. That's that's basically what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think this is the appropriate two favorites, right? Like, it, I, yeah, I, I sure. would be very surprised if it's not one of these two teams. Um, right. Again, Florida State at plus 160, they're the favorite. Clemson, plus 190, second in, in line. Third in line, North Carolina at 6-1. to one. I want, like, no part of that. Like, No, thank I, you. That's not going to happen. I, I just don't buy that. I, As good as Drake May might be, there is just so much else going on there that, like, I'm not, I'm not buying that. There's... So I'll go through the rest of these. Louisville ten to one, NC State twelve to one, Miami eighteen to one, 
Pitt twenty two to one, Duke thirty three to one, Wake forty to one, Syracuse fifty to one, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech, all at a hundred to one. Um, first of all, I'm a little bit insulted that Georgia Tech is a hundred to one and Syracuse is only fifty to one, but that's me personally. Um, <laughs> second of all, of all of the rest of these teams, I think there's only one of them that I'm actually particularly like intrigued at the number would would ever even consider putting a couple of American dollars on. And I think it's Louisville at 10 to 1. Interesting, because I don't see that at all. So, the, and the only reason that I'm going to say Louisville at 10 to 1 mm-hmm. is if you look at Louisville's schedule this year, they miss both Clemson and Florida State. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. So, you know, Louisville plays Georgia Tech. They play Murray State, Indiana, Boston College, NC State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, Kentucky. Of the eight ACC teams that they play, um, I think that they miss Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina, the three teams yeah. that are more favored to win the ACC. They miss all of them. Yeah, so then you're talking fair. about can they get to a one-game situation in Charlotte and maybe pull something off at the end of the year? Maybe. Other than, like, that's that's the only thinking there. It's not like, oh, I, I really believe that they're going to go, you know, 7-1 and one in the ACC and get there and then do it. Like, I don't, I don't think that they're going to do that. But it's not as off the table as I think basically everybody else going through and winning the ACC would be. Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for like a value pick, and I'm just kind of looking at the odds in May, Pitt at 22 to one is not a bad price. Like you're bringing in Phil Dracovic quarterback, like you lose some pieces on offense, but like we've mentioned this the last few years, like. Narduzzi's been doing a pretty good job at being consistently winning like seven or eight games pretty consistently. And like, it's like irritatingly consistent. Like irritatingly consistent to the point where he's not going to get fired. And then he steps up and has a year like he had two years ago when Kenny Pickett decided he was going to be a Heisman finalist. Like all of a sudden you're bringing in a quarterback in Phil Dracovic who took a step back at BC, like had injury issues and took a step back but like Dracovic during the COVID year if you go back a few years was really freaking good and now Mm -hmm. if you're coming into like the fifth year version of Phil Dracovic now new new school right you're in the conference right new school different situation reuniting with his OC reuniting with his OC the big question around Pitt has been like, what is it going to look like post-Pickett? That was the question all last year, right? They had Keith Slovis didn't work out. Now they have Dracovic. And can this be kind of the piece at quarterback that kind of fills what they were missing a year ago coming off of an ACC title appearance? So I, I just think if you look at you know these odds right now and you're kind of looking for somebody outside of Florida State and Clemson, you go a little bit further down the list, I believe in Pitt more than I believe in Miami. Miami's at eighteen to one. Miami's got mm-hmm. a better roster, but Miami's still got some work to do up front in the trenches. Um, they got it. They got to do something at quarterback, right? Like, what's that situation going to look like? Is Van Dyke the guy? Is he not? What's Cristobal doing in year two? I think they'll be better, but I don't think they're going to be like pushing for an ACC title. Um, Carolina. You, you mentioned that you don't, you don't want any part of Carolina at six to one. Neither do I. Like, Drake I don't May's, get that number short of other than Drake May. I don't get that number at all. 
other than Drake May, like, what's the sell there? I understand it's like, oh, other than one of the top NFL draft prospects, other than one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, but, like, outside of that, what do they have? They have... What did that do for him last year? They have a coaching staff that literally cannot get over the hump and, like, win eight or nine games. This was a team last year that, you know, was pretty good relative to, like, what the expectations were coming into the year. And I mentioned this, like, I thought that Carolina two years ago, all the hype they got where they were, like, a dark horse playoff pick, and they were, like, the number 10 team in the country going to Lane Stadium, like, to open the year, you know, the first big game post-COVID. I thought that last year's Carolina team should have had that kind of hype. Maybe not, like, top 10 in the country good. Maybe, like, top 20 in the country good. I thought they should have had that kind of hype. And then Carolina was ranked, right? They were ranked in, in October. Mm-hmm. They were ranked in November. They had a good team last year. But then you got to the end of the year, and all of a sudden they started slipping up late in the year. They had you know, the game against NC State late in the year. Um, the bowl game, right? <laughs> the bowl game didn't mm-hmm. go particularly well. Like All of a sudden, these things that have been a problem under Mac Brown started perking up again after having a pretty successful regular season. So I don't – I can't – Get behind him at six to one. I can't do it. I can't. I'm, Expectations. I'm starting to see Carolina. patterns here, Mike. Like <laughs> he's been there long enough, where we're starting to establish those a little bit. We talked about patterns with Narduzzi, like annoyingly consistent. Um, mm-hmm. the, the pattern with Mac Brown and Carolina is like we can't really win a lot of games consistently. Like we're kind of the opposite. We're not. You know, we have these expectations. We got the Jordan brand, everything. We got all these recruits. We can't coach them. <laughs> like, yeah, we can't coach the, that like, whole thing about recruiting. the ceiling being the roof. Like. They can't yeah. even approach their ceiling. Like no, no. Like we have one of the best rosters in the ACC, and we just can't flat out can't coach them. Like we have we mm-hmm. have a Mi- we have the Miami syndrome. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we caught that from them, and we don't know how to get over that until you get a new coach. So I, I no, I will not be no six to one. No, thank you. No part of that. No thanks. I do like your point about Pittsburgh a lot because it's it's a good point bringing in a guy like Phil Dracovic. And that's a team that they're going to be really physical on defense. They're going to be well-coached in general. They're just, like, not going to beat themselves. And if Phil Dracovic is anything like what we think he is, thought he was coming out of the COVID year, like, that that has a chance. I mean, there's no longer a Coastal and Atlantic division this year, by the way, just a right. reminder. Yep. Um, but they, I mean, they have a chance, I think, to be a little bit dangerous. And, yeah, yeah 22 to 1... Do I do I really think that one out of twenty three years that they win the ACC? Probably not. Like again, right. looking at what Clemson and Florida State are, like I don't think that they get there. But do I like them at twenty two to one more than I like Miami at eighteen, NC State at twelve, and North Carolina at six? Yeah. yeah, I would take I would take Pittsburgh just straight up against North Carolina. That's before you give me three times the odds, you know, almost four times the odds with Pittsburgh. Like right. So yeah, give me the Panthers on that. Like that's that's probably my fourth favorite in the conference at this point. I maybe when we get close to the season, maybe we get to Miami, but uh, it's like I got to see it first. I think. Yeah, and and again, like I mentioned, Miami's got the better roster. Um, I think they. I think Cristobal is probably a higher upside coach in Narduzzi. Narduzzi's proven to be consistent, but. We saw the kind of the upside of Cristobal at Oregon, right? And we haven't really seen mm-hmm. that at Pittsburgh short of that one year, two seasons ago with Pickett. Um, I just, I'm going to have to see it with Miami before I put any money down on them winning anything. Like, 
I'm just going uh, yeah. to have to see it. It's been like that for a while now. It's like kind of prove it to me. And I picked them actually on this podcast two years ago. I, an idiot, like an idiot, I picked them. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I did that in hindsight. But well, your point about needing to see it, I just, I just cannot imagine blaming you for that at this point. Like that's, that that seems no. like that is the responsible take at this point. Is I mean, Cam, how many show times me, has Cam please. said that? How many times has Cam said that? Mm-hmm. Like Cam's like, uh, I mean, guys, I haven't seen it either. <laughs> like, you I you know it. it's dire when like absolute like fanatic of the game Cam is like. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if I can buy into this. Like, I got to see it. That's yeah. that's telling, man. It's telling. Hi, Cam. Hi, Cam. Yeah, we've gone from the, oh, they're 1 in 10. They're 1 in 11. To Cam, like, last few years being like, we'll see. Hopefully they go, like, 8. Hopefully they win 8. Like It's like, they've oh, okay. got to make a bowl game this year. Like, <laughs> what bar are we clearing? Like, Exactly. Let's hit win totals real quick, Mike, and then get out of here. Um, yep. So, again, we've, we've kind of gone through the odds to win the conference, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through these real quick. You tell me if there's any of these that stick out to you. So, so initial win totals uh, that I'm seeing right here a, uh, in the ACC, uh, it turns out, Boston College, 5.5, Clemson, 9.5, Duke, 6.5, Florida State, 10, Georgia Tech, 4.5, Louisville, 7.5, Miami seven and a half, North Carolina eight and a half, NC State six and a half, Pittsburgh six and a half, Syracuse six and a half, Virginia three and a half, Virginia Tech five, and Wake Forest six. Any of those that just like immediately jump out to you is like that's not a right that that number is incorrect. Uh Syracuse under five it was at five and a half. Six and a half. Six yeah. and a half. Um, yeah, the Syracuse one. No way. No thank Syracuse you. Syracuse isn't going seven and five. Uh-uh. No thank you. No, no thanks. I, I don't even know their schedule. And no thank you. <laughs> I want no part of that. They don't have Sean Tucker. I, you got to prove. You got to prove to me that Garrett Trader is going to do this consistently. No thank you. Nope. Yep. Hard nope. pass on that. Hard pass. Yeah. Under six the, and a half. That is the that is the single team where I look at the win total. And I'm like, there is no way in hell I'm touching that. Hmm. Um. I, I I completely agree with that. I'm I'm with you. Um. To me, it's a couple of the ones that stuck out. Uh, Louisville seven and a half seems a little bit low. Georgia Tech four and a half seems very low. Like I anything under five, I've seen it at four. I've seen it at four and a half. Yeah. I I would bet the over on that with my own money. Yeah. It's just like I, I absolutely would like. I, I think Georgia Tech is threatening to be a bowl team at worst this year. They won five games last year, including four of the final eight with Brent Key. Like what? I I don't know that people understand that. You know, it's not like this is oh we're still transitioning from the triple option and we're struggling to put together like talent. Like the roster is fine. They just need to be coached yeah. and like treated like adults, basically. Right. Which again, I think that they they are. Now, do I think that they're going to win like nine? I don't know. No, not necessarily. But like, <laughs> right? Can they win more than four and a half? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, right. um, so there's that. Um, Clemson at nine and a half. I think over. Yeah. Um, not strongly about that. And then Florida State at ten. Keep in mind with Florida State that they open with LSU again this year, and LSU didn't look great to start last year. Um, has gotten substantially better 
like week over week, basically ever yeah. since that game was played. So they won the West. It's a little bit of a dangerous, tricky number. Yeah, they, they did. They won the West in year one. They beat Alabama. Kelly. They beat Auburn. They beat A and M. Or did they beat A and M? I forget. No, they lost A and M. They lost A and M. They still won yeah. the West. They randomly lost A and M. By the way, That's yeah, make a lot of sense. weird game. Um, yeah, I. Um, 10 seems a little high, not because I don't think they could do it, right? I just said no less than five minutes ago they could win the ACC. But, like, mm-hmm. that just seems like one of those high numbers where we, we got into that territory with Clemson a few years ago where it was, like, 11. We're, like, under. Just because they could go 10 and 2, right? Like They ain't winning 12. Yeah. Right. Like, they're probably – like, if you don't think they're winning 12, you bet the under and – you're, the worst you do is push. Um, mm-hmm. Ten is a little different, but I would be more inclined to pick uh, to bet under with that and just say maybe they go nine and three. Maybe they're just they win the ACC, but maybe they're a little underwhelming. Maybe they go nine and three. I think they're going to have to win ten to win the ACC. By the way, because I think Clemson is going to be pretty good. So like I think it's going to have to be mm-hmm. ten wins, and they're going to have to go probably seven and one in conference. Uh, mm-hmm. Worst case to get, to get to Charlotte. So things have changed now, man. It's a divisionless conference. Um, that things are going to look a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to win ten to make it to Charlotte. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Probably, it'll be interesting. The other two that I would call out: Pittsburgh six and a half, Duke six and a half. I would yeah. go over both of those. I, think. I would go over both of those um, too, based on what we saw at Elko and based on what I was just talking about with Pittsburgh. Just they're consistently winning seven games. So, yeah, if you if you throw out um, the the COVID year where Pitt only played 11 games, uh, I guess in, in total, um, they went six and five, I guess it was 2018 was the last time that, I mean, and that was even, uh, I guess they played in the ACC championship game. Like it's been a long time basically since Pitt hasn't won at least seven games in the regular season. Like, yeah, put it that way. So I, I mean, especially again with Phil Dracovic coming into, to, play quarterback for them and, and just the level of consistency and all that again I haven't looked at the schedule all that closely but I would lean over there and then just the the level of like aggressive undeniable competency that we saw from Duke last year in year one under Mike Elko and they won what was it eight at least games yeah. yep how you put that number at six and a half Mike like now I think they'll hang in there and, and win at least seven this year so I, I would feel good about the over on both of those with Riley Leonard at quarterback and what he showed at like a dual threat quarterback, yeah. Um, the one thing I want to mention too, I just want to slide this in. Virginia Tech at five, that seems okay. The, the big question mark is quarterback and then like offensive line, but they upgrade at running back. They up in the transfer portal. They upgrade at receiver in the transfer portal. Um, they got some guys that can be difference makers there. The defense should be pretty solid. They return most of their starters there on that side of the ball. So if they get literally anything out of quarterback, I think they're probably going to be better, which last year, I mean, that's a low bar to clear, right? But could they get to five? Maybe. Um, I think they're probably going to be anywhere from from three wins to six wins, which is pretty wide variability. But there's a lot of questions at quarterback, so I wouldn't touch the win total of Virginia Tech at all. I, I think I they wouldn't could either. get to five. They could get to six. They could also just win like three games again and be a total disaster. I wouldn't touch that one. Well, and I'm I'm looking at this out of conference, and it's like I could almost see anywhere between three and one and zero oh and four. Like, yeah, September's Old Dominion, Purdue at Rutgers at Marshall. Like, 
I, I, I mean, that's basically just like toss up, toss up, toss up, toss up almost. Um, I, yeah. I suspect that Purdue will be a little more put together, but even that's like a new coach situation and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like that's yeah, that, that I, I'm with you. I would, I would leave that number alone. That's, that's yeah. not a good feeling. That's a, that's a baked in like Brent Pry and his staff, like won't totally screw up a couple games and like, they'll just coach a little bit better. And then personnel improvement is good for like half a game to a game that gets you to five. I'm good on that win total. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I'll call it out too, by the way. There's there's 14 teams in the conference. There's only three of them that I'm looking at right now that have a even like an even number win total. Florida State 10, Virginia Tech 5, Wake Forest 6. Like they could just be telling you they're going to go 5 and 7. Like right. Just don't don't put your money on this for 6 months right. and then just get it back, you know, like put it in the put it in the market or something. Five and seven, I'd be pretty happy. By the way, I just want to. I, I bet you there. would. Yeah, I would. I would be happy. That would be improvement. That would be yeah, kind of an acceleration on the uh, the rebuild. So in any case, yeah, crazy. Mike, that's all I got on futures. Anything else? I think we're good. We we've uh, squeezed a lot of content into this podcast as we anticipated. We have, we have. We'll be back in two months, um, in late July, probably. To <laughs> we're back for previews, season previews. <laughs> we'll see uh, if the the sun has engulfed the entire Earth by then or not. You know, but uh, no, yeah, we, we we have talked about a lot. You know, and and we'll see. I mean, Lord knows what what content's going to come up tomorrow or the next day or you know in the next few weeks. But um, I I'll, I'll speak for for the both of us, Mike. You tell me if you disagree, but I, I think the intent is to uh, show up and record again in less than two months and uh, that's always you know, kind of keep going through <laughs> that's, always the that's intent. true we're gonna try to do that that is true we, we will try to do that and it just depends on kind of what like what's coming up and what, what's going on in our lives but um in any case you know as we go into the summer keep it tuned here we are going to come back and keep it keep it rolling and uh start getting you ready for the fall as we are only what three and a half months from kickoff Mike, like we're yeah. like about the halfway point of the uh, the off season here, so we're uh, we're getting closer. We are, uh, and we're doing this again. I mean, the, the podcast rolls on. Like we have kids now and stuff, but like the podcast continues. <laughs> like that's right, that's right. We don't have anything. We don't have anything better to do. Might, I mean, we do this for like an hour and a half twice might, a week. Like we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Might need to start getting some uh, some picks brought in here. Let's see if our kids are better at picking than we are. I mean, that's oh yeah. It's entirely possible if you listen to this this show for long enough. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> it's not a great situation. We've made some bad ones. We one or two, like every week. But anyways, week. yeah, every week. <laughs> Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, we're gonna come back again at some point in the nearer future, less than two months. We we swear, we promise. Um, keep it tuned here. We will uh, we'll keep you updated as things develop. Until then, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Together at BC Podcast ACC. You can find us on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at the ACC football, football Conference. Um, we made sure to wait to record this show until producer Scott was like hours away from leaving for Europe for like, what, two weeks, Mike? So, um, yeah, I mean, this will probably be like posted to YouTube after he gets back. It's It'll be fine. Um, we are on Gmail, uh, face, <laughs> basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Sure, something like that. Like riding a bike, Mike. 
Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes, all those good places. Go hit the follow button. Give us five-star reviews and that stuff. We really appreciate it. Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Uh, MySpace, Be Real as well. Uh, What's our TikTok, ones? by the way? Yeah, Matt, we're on a Mastodon. Do we have a snap? <laughs> Do we have a snap? <laughs> we're on a Mastodon social. Uh, that's where everybody was going to go when they thought Twitter was ending. That was really annoying for like a couple weeks. All the everybody normal like, social media is what you're saying. Yeah. Do you remember that? Everybody was like, oh, if, if Twitter, if the world ends on Twitter tomorrow, you can find me over here on Mastodon. I'm like, what is happening? Oh, I thought that was just, uh, what was, the, oh, what's the, not live journal. What's the, what's the, uh, the newsletter, like, thing that you're subscribed to like three of them in your inbox right now it's uh bu- 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 hold on we'll get there we'll get Tumblr? there reddit um no no not those uh, um hold on it's substack substack oh Substack. we almost had a substack to replace this podcast we go with that yeah basket stack <laughs> basket stack there you go that definitely can't be twisted into something weird anyways Christ. Mike, I think that's all I got. Is there anything else that you have that we need to uh, cover uh, before we, we are, go dormant we're, again? We're on Facebook. <laughs> we Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Great review. Find this podcast will be on there because we haven't recorded in a while. So I can promise you that. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? I think we're good. Talk to you all in a couple months. So you want to come back and do this uh, at least in the next couple of months, if not if not, you know, sooner, maybe? Yeah, we'll try to do don't it. I don't want to sooner. promise too much. I don't want to overpromise under deliver like we usually do. <laughs> this podcast new motto. There you go. I love it. Mike, oh. it's been fun. Good catching up. Let's uh let's do it again yep. soon, all right? Yep, sounds good. All right. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again very, very soon, we swear. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.